Welcome to the Not All Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 506. Today's show is brought to you by Talkspace. As part of our Inside Science Author interview series, we are joined today by scientist, author, explorer, Dr. Teasel Muir-Harmony. Dr. Teasel Muir-Harmony is the curator of the Project Apollo collection at the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum and teaches at Georgetown University. Dr. Muir-Harmony is the author of Apollo to the Moon, a history in 50 objects and a contributor to the television series Apollo's Moonshot and is our guest today. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Twang. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. For those who haven't uh, read the plaque, uh, we'll read the plaque that's on the front landing gear of this lamb. There's, there's two hemispheres, one showing each of the two hemispheres of Earth. Underneath it says, Here men from the planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969, AD. On July 20th, 1969, over half the world's population tuned in to witness Neil Armstrong's first step on the moon and listen to that amazing audio sequence that the Eagle has landed. We just listened, of course, as Neil Armstrong radios Houston Tranquility Base here, the Eagle has landed. Mission control erupts in celebration as the tension breaks and a controller tells the crew You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We are breathing again. Despite the jubilance and other outward national appearances, the project, Project Apollo, was never just about advancing scientific progress. Rather, it was an attempt from the American government to prove the superiority of the Western capitalist system over communism and to fight for influence in developing countries. With Cold War tensions between the United States and Soviet Union at a high, President Kennedy argued that ramping up the space program would inspire global confidence in American excellence. From the 1960s through the 1970s, U.S. politicians, including President Richard Nixon, worked to link global progress with space accomplishments using films, souvenirs, political ads, and other forms of propaganda. Featuring first-hand accounts by Apollo astronauts and interviews with NASA staff, Dr. Teasel Muir Harmony's new book, Operation Moonglow paints a riveting picture of the intersection of spaceflight, geopolitics, and Nixon diplomacy during the Cold War. President Nixon watched the scene unfold. Exuberant, really cranked up like a little kid. Nixon soaked it all up, wrote Haldeman. He waved and showed off his fancy binoculars. At Nixon's request, the Hornet band played Columbia, the gem of the ocean, a nod to the spacecraft's name when the astronauts arrived on deck. The Apollo 11 crew swiftly made their way to the Mobile Quarantine Facility, or MQF, an Airstream trailer modified to prevent the spread of lunar microorganisms, however unlikely their presence might be. After changing into more comfortable NASA flight suits and receiving medical exams, the astronauts assembled in front of the trailer's window to speak to the president. Nixon found it hard to contain his enthusiasm or his awe. In front of a global television audience of 500 million, he told the astronauts that he was the luckiest man in the world. Nixon immediately put the accomplishment into the larger geopolitical context. The White House had already received over 100 congratulatory messages from foreign heads of state, he told the crew. 
These messages represent over 2 billion people on the earth, all of them who have had the opportunity through television to see what you have done. That, of course, is our guest today, Dr. Teasel Muir Harmony, reading from her new book, Operation Moonglow. Please join me in welcoming back to the Not Old Better Show, Dr. Teasel Muir Harmony. Dr. Teasel Muir Harmony, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me back. It's so good to talk to you again. First of all, let me just say, I hope you're well. I hope your family's all well during our our quarantining times. We're we're safely socially distanced, and and uh, and I don't mean to make light of it, but I do I do hope for the best for you and your family. Everybody good? Everyone is yes. Thank you. Um, I've I've been relatively lucky throughout this, and just been working from home and staying safe. I hope you've been well too. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're all good, too. We're kind of hunkered down, and uh, we've got a full house with our two boys home, but uh, we're all enjoying each other. And and I'll tell you this, too. We are all enjoying, our whole family has been enjoying Operation Moonglow, a political <laughs> history. <laughs> the book, I've had the book for a couple of weeks. The book went on sale on the 24th of November. It is this wonderful historical account. I, I'm just smiling getting a chance to talk to you about this. And so I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about it. In particular, I love this one passage. You you say in the book, you say, despite appearances, the project, and we're talking about Project Apollo here, the project was never just about advancing scientific progress. My gosh, that just really took me back a little bit because I thought this was all about science. So maybe tell us, what was Project Apollo about? Project Apollo was really tied to U.S. grand strategy in the 1960s. And when we talk about it today, we often focus on how we got to the moon and and what we learned. So um, all the engineering challenges and then all the information that was gathered about the moon and its evolution, um, which is really important information. But sometimes it obscures the original intention um, of President Kennedy, which was um, geopolitics and this interest in winning the hearts and minds of the world at this moment in history. And that was an important part of Apollo history, not only um, the rationale behind pursuing lunar exploration, but an important part of its history throughout the 1960s, culminating with the moon landing where half the world's population stopped what they were doing to follow the fight. And that was an important moment in um, the, the relationship between the U.S. and the world. Yeah, it's one of those moments. I definitely, I'm old enough. I definitely remember that period. I remember it well where I was. I just, uh, uh, all the, the the book, again, it's excellent. And I just want to recommend it highly. Operation Moonglow. Where does the name Moonglow come from? The name comes from this diplomatic tour that President Nixon took immediately following the first moon landing. And um, Nixon was really interested in um, shifting U.S. foreign policy when he became president in 1969. He wanted to change the course of the war in Vietnam, and he wanted to improve U.S. relations with China. And he saw the popularity of the moon landing as the perfect opportunity to get some of this work done. So he met the Apollo crew when they splashed down in the Pacific Ocean. And then from there, he started this Operation Moonglow diplomatic tour through Southeast Asia and to Romania and to England and then home. You just bring this to life so well. And one of the things that's just fascinating to me, because again, I I remember this period pretty well, but it strikes me as perhaps panic on the part of U.S. in terms of the Cold War and and even the Soviet Union progress. Did the Soviet Union even have technology or budget during those times to actually compete, really compete with the U.S.? 
the Soviet Union had an extraordinary space program, and they they were the first uh, in so many different space accomplishments. Um, for the first few years of spaceflight, the Soviet Union was really leading in the space race. So they had the first satellite in 1957, and they sent a dog into space also in 1957, the first human in space, the first woman in space, the first spacewalk, the first landers on the moon. Um, it was just first after first after first, um, and and the U.S. was really trailing behind. Um, over the course of the 1960s, the Soviet Union did spend less on their space program than the United States did by, by quite a lot, but they had incredible success, at least up through the the mid-1960s. Hey, it's Paul. I don't want to take a break for just a moment and tell you about our sponsor today, Talkspace. That's right, Talkspace. You know, if you're feeling overwhelmed right now, and I am, then we're human beings. <laughs> we just we just are. We're, we're, we're feeling a bunch of stuff right now, and there's a whole lot to be anxious about between, you know, 24-7 news cycle, the pandemic, uh, we've got the vaccine that's rolling out. Politics are on everybody's mind and divisive as ever. We need to take care of our mental health and we need to work through our emotions with a licensed therapist. For me, obviously, it is all about talking. I do that for a living. But talking with a licensed therapist is another matter. Certainly another matter financially, but Talkspace is making therapy affordable and accessible for all because we all need extra support to feel our best. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. No matter what, Talkspace will find you the right therapist to help you achieve your goals. My goals right now for me and Gretchen are to stay as balanced as possible. I've talked about this before on the show, but Gretchen's business, a ballet studio, has been hit really hard by the social distancing rules, the educational facilities limitations, and all of the other COVID-related stay-at-home mandates. But, you know, we're making our way through, as so many others are. And I mention all this because sometimes it helps, and this has helped Gretchen and me, to talk to someone with another perspective, trained, licensed, and prepared to offer objective guidance when we're feeling out of balance. Talkspace has all of these licensed therapists with years of experience. So if you need some support, some practical guidance, some therapy, Talkspace gives you the support, gives us the support we need at an affordable price. As a listener of the Not Old Better Show, you get $100 off of your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code NOB to get $100 off of your first month and show your support for the show. That's NOB and Talkspace.com. Remember, Talkspace, th this is perfect timing. This is a great sponsor and a great offer. $100 off of your first month with Talkspace. Make sure to use the code NOB to get $100 off of your first month and show your support for the show. That's NOB and Talkspace.com. And now back to Dr. Teasel Muir Harmony and Moongla. We are with Dr. Teasel Muir Harmony. Dr. Muir Harmony has been a guest previously on the show, and it's so popular with our audience. Dr. Muir Harmony's new book is Operation Moonglow, A Political History of Project Apollo. 
Dr. Muhammad, I want to ask you about this PR kind of uh, orientation. We talked about the title and and Nixon's kind of globe uh, trotting, uh, you know, kind of outreach program. Did this PR approach on the part of NASA did it did it even influence how NASA was selecting, uh, you know, astronauts and? And, and it seems almost like because I, I read this other term that you use, I, I liked it a lot. This jingoistic kind of approach that seems to be pretty heavy-handed PR. Was it all about that? And were the art were the were the astronauts even selected based on their ability to kind of be, you know, camera ready, so to speak? The astronauts were primarily selected on a number of criteria that had uh, little if nothing to do with. Um, their their ability in in PR or in diplomacy, um, they they were selected for their you know, physical qualities, um, their their ability in terms of flying, psychological readiness, all sorts of other um, factors. But uh, they were really quite astute for the most part when it came to public relations, and the U.S. would send them abroad um, to to meet with people, both foreign leaders as well as in these really big events and. Um, they were able to connect people, um, talk about science and engineering. That was a big part of what they did when they traveled abroad, and um, it was hugely successful. But um, they were chosen for, you know, their their other qualities, um, and it just worked out really, really well that they were able to uh, engage with people in the ways that they were when they traveled internationally. So, kind of a side benefit, perhaps, as they were, mm-hmm. as they were. So, what, what? Tell us a little bit more about the the PR tours. What what were they like? Were they you know, big bands playing. Can we, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they were huge, huge undertakings. Um, so I should mention that throughout the 1960s, the State Department and the U.S. Information Agency did a lot to promote the U.S. space program internationally, get people really excited and engaged, and then also provide the information that they needed to know, you know, what's going on in space, you know, when the launches were, when the missions were. Um, and so uh, that had already existed for a while by the time astronauts started traveling around the world. And so there was already an audience really aware of what was going on. And the most notable tour is probably the uh, giant step tour. Now, this is the one that the Apollo 11 crew took after their first lunar landing mission. And they circled the globe. Um, it was a, a whirlwind tour, 29 cities, over 22 countries. And uh, at each location, they would uh, have a motorcade into the city from the airport and it would be lined with people for miles. Uh, And the U.S. government made sure to distribute maps and things like that. And they were printed in newspapers so people knew when they were coming, they knew the timing. Uh, Then they would have public events where they would talk about their their experience. They they often lectured at universities or or spoke with scientists. There would be uh, formal dinners with foreign leaders. Um, an exchange of gifts. And whenever there was an opportunity to do something that connected their mission to local history, they would do that. So um, in Spain, for instance, they laid wreaths at the Christopher Columbus Monument, talking about explorations. We're trying to emphasize that. And so um, that was a part of these these tours. But um, millions of people came out. Uh, they were they received um, with, with such enthusiasm uh, throughout that two-month tour. It would have been so great to have, um, you know, been part of all that. And, and and you do bring it to life so well. The book, again, the title is Operation Moonglow, A Political History of Project Apollo. And you and I have talked previously. You, of course, are a curator of the uh, Project Apollo collection for uh, Smithsonian. And you teach at 
Georgetown, and one of your areas of expertise is this this area of public diplomacy. And I've I've asked you about it before, and and I I really like this because I think it's a, an important thing to understand and kind of come to grips with. And so I wondered if you'd tell us a little bit about what you learned and what impressed you about about the U.S. and our public diplomacy when it came to Project Apollo, especially around this time period. Were we were we doing it well? Could we have done it better? One of the things that I learned is that public diplomacy was a central part to sending humans to the moon. That it wasn't it wasn't just an additional thing that we did. That it was it was really bound to the the initiative from the very start. Um, part of the rationale why we sent people to the moon um, was to win the hearts and minds of the world. Um, was part of this Cold War context for larger alignment to encourage people to pursue liberal democracy as opposed to communism. So. It really makes the connections between spaceflight and this larger historical context even more clear. In terms of effectiveness, one of the um, the important elements of public diplomacy, almost maybe you would even consider it the first, is listening. And at the time, that included things like polls, so public opinion polls. I hate these global public opinion polls, taking them all the time. But it also involved listening at the different embassies around the world, at the U- different U.S. information service centers around the world to what worked, what resonated, um, what engaged people in other countries. And I think that that element um, was such an important part of this story. And initially, a lot of the programming related to space really championed American accomplishments in science and technology and emphasized American power in these areas. And over time, they realized that that didn't resonate as well with people as um, messages that focus more on in the science, the engineering, or interest in peace, or this higher goals of peace and unity and um, connectedness on Earth. Efforts to include people around the world in the mission were also received quite well. And so the messaging related to the Apollo program really changed over time from the early 1960s to by the time you get to the first lunar landing, when there's this huge emphasis on, you know, we're doing this together. This is a project for all humankind. And that was really, really resonated with people. So I think that was one of the important lessons about public diplomacy and what made this program in particular so effective and really touched the lives of so many people. I, you might say, I mean, not to be too political here, but but we might want to return to some of that. I, th- I think at this point in, in our in our history, I think these were all good good steps. The book is again Operation Moonglow: A Political History of Project Apollo. The praise and the reviews uh, online are just really off the charts. It's a wonderful book. It, it's described as a joyful trip down memory lane for aging baby boomers. <laughs> and I think that's our that's our audience, Dr. Teaselbeer Harmony. And so it's good to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us again. You're always so popular and we appreciate your time. But um, congrats on the book. Wonderful. And just uh, keep us posted on your next uh, few projects because we'd love to have you back, of course. Sounds great. I'd love to be back. It was really nice speaking with you again. My thanks to our sponsor, Talkspace. Please support our sponsor and support yourselves right now. Check out our show notes for Talkspace's special Not Old Better Show offer. Thanks to Dr. Teasel Muir Harmony, who's written the new book, Operation Moonglow. More details are available on our website about Dr. Muir Harmony and her book, but we appreciate her joining us again. We're going to look forward to having her back, too. Thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Stay safe, everyone. Practice smart social distancing. And remember, let's talk about better. 
the Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.